0: Welcome to the April 15, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a manuscript that describes a novel inherited bone marrow failure syndrome associated with defective clearance of formaldehyde by hematopoietic stem cells. Learn about the first large-scale analysis of the association between cancer-specific mutations in cancer cells and the incidence of cancer-specific thrombosis, and explore results from a large screening study examining the incidence and progression of monoclonal B-cell lymphocytosis in families with an inherited predisposition to chronic lymphocytic leukemia. We will start with the study entitled, Analysis of Disease Model IPSCs Derived from Patients with a Novel Fanconi Anemia, like Inherited Bone Marrow Failure Syndrome with ADH5 and ALDH2 Deficiency, conducted by Feng Miu from Kyoto University in Japan and colleagues. Inherited Bone Marrow Failure Syndromes, or IBMFS, encompass patients with a broad range of overlapping clinical features underlaid by diverse gene variants affecting telomeres, hematopoietic transcription factors, ribosome assembly, DNA damage response, and immune response, among others. Recently, the authors discovered a novel inherited Fanconi anemia-like IBMFS in Japanese children who have molecular variants in two different genes that are responsible for catabolizing formaldehyde in cells, aldehyde dehydrogenase 5 and aldehyde dehydrogenase 2 or ADH5, and ALDH2. The variants are predicted to reduce the activity of these enzymes and subsequently significantly impair the ability of cells to remove the formaldehyde produced by normal cellular metabolism. Similar to Fanconi's anemia patients, these children presented with aplastic anemia, often followed by MDS or acute leukemia. This study, along with three other recent reports, make a strong case that the cause of this bone marrow failure is DNA damage overload, secondary to an inability to metabolize the endogenous formaldehyde normally produced during hematopoietic stem cell differentiation. To test this hypothesis, Mu and colleagues analyzed PHA-stimulated lymphocytes from these patients and found a highly increased number of spontaneous sister chromatid exchanges, SCEs, reflecting homologous recombination repair of DNA damage. In contrast to Fanconi's anemia, however, chromosome breakage induced by mitomycin C was normally repaired. Interestingly, in contrast to lymphocytes, patient-derived fibroblasts showed normal levels of SCEs, suggesting that different cell types or conditions may generate varying amounts of formaldehyde. To better examine endogenous formaldehyde production and how defects in ADH5 and ALDH2 affect human hematopoiesis, they constructed disease model cell lines from several well-known cancer cell lines by knocking out ADH5 and ALDH2 and found that these cells now showed extreme sensitivity to formaldehyde-induced DNA damage. Since the patients had a severe lack of hematopoietic stem cells because of their aplasia, the authors created induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs, from patient fibroblasts using standard approaches. They further engineered these cells to express a doxycycline-inducible normal ADH5 allele, and they again found that the induced hematopoietic stem cells from this system were highly sensitive to formaldehyde and that inducing expression of ADH5 ameliorated the resulting DNA damage. Overall, the authors concluded that ADH5 is the primary defense against formaldehyde and ALDH2 provides backup. Further, while DNA repair mechanisms are likely intact, DNA repair capacity in the ADH5, ALDH2 deficient cell lines can be overwhelmed by exogenous or endogenous formaldehyde. Additionally, Patient iPSCs displayed drastically defective cell expansion when stimulated to undergo hematopoietic differentiation in vitro, reflecting the high levels of DNA damage. Interestingly, the severe growth defect could be partially reversed by treatment with a new small molecule termed C1, an agonist of ALDH2, thus identifying a potential therapeutic strategy for the patients. In conclusion... The authors propose that normal hematopoiesis or lymphocyte blastogenesis appears to require functional ADH5 and ALDH2 enzymes to metabolize formaldehyde. Moon Jung Jung and Agata Smogorzyuska from Rockefeller University in New York provide commentary on the study, suggesting that while the human genome contains at least 8 ADH and 19 ALDH superfamily genes, with some overlapping substrate specificities, it remains to be seen whether other combinations of ADH and ALDH deficiencies drive DNA damage significant enough to overwhelm the second tier of genome protection and cause human disease. The fact that hematopoietic defects were improved by modulation of ADH5 or ALDH2 activity ex vivo gives hope that levels of reactive aldehydes may be decreased, leading to less DNA damage and healthier stem cells. Whether decreasing aldehyde load by pharmacologic agents could prevent bone marrow failure or cancers in ADH5-ALDH2-deficient patients, patients with Fanconi anemia, or during aging needs further investigation. Our next topic is a study entitled Genomic Profiling Identifies Somatic Mutations Predicting Thromboembolic Risk in Patients with Solid Tumors by Andrew Dunbar and colleagues from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute and the Cleveland Clinic. Cancer-associated venous thromboembolism, or CAT, is a frequent complication of cancer and a leading cause of death in cancer patients. Clinical risk factors known to pretend an increased risk of cancer-associated venous thromboembolism include body mass index, prior thrombotic events, inherited thrombophilias, blood cell counts, exposure to chemotherapy or recombinant erythropoietin, cancer stage, and the presence of underlying comorbid conditions, including infection. These factors form the basis of risk assessment models frequently utilized to identify patients most likely to benefit from anticoagulant prophylaxis. However, despite improving cancer-associated venous thromboembolism risk prediction, significant limitations remain with these models, and the optimal approach to pharmacological prophylaxis remains unclear. Identification of additional risk factors to enhance current CAT prediction models might help to better personalize prevention and improve clinical outcomes for solid tumor patients. The study authors sought to assess potential associations of molecular signatures with CAT, including tumor-specific mutations and the presence of clonal hematopoiesis. They retrospectively analyzed deep-coverage-targeted DNA sequencing data of more than 14,000 solid tumor samples using the MSK-IMPACT platform To identify somatic alterations associated with CAT, the primary endpoint was defined as the first instance of cancer-associated pulmonary embolism and or proximal or distal lower extremity deep vein thrombosis. 72% of the 11,695 patients with evaluable samples had metastatic disease at time of genotyping. Tumor-specific mutations in KRAS, STK-11. CTNNB1, CDKN2B, and MET were associated with a significantly increased risk of CAT, independent of tumor type. In contrast, mutations in set D2 were associated with a decreased risk of CAT, and the presence of clonal hematopoiesis was not associated with an increased VTE rate, as this is the first large-scale analysis designed to elucidate tumor-specific genomic events associated with CAT The authors suggest further analysis is needed to validate their findings and identify additional molecular signatures unique to individual tumor types. In commentary on the manuscript, Jamuz Rack from McGill University in Canada, states the authors document a striking link between oncogenic mutations in cancer cells and the incidence of CAT in a large cohort of cancer patients. Rack suggests this study is important for two primary reasons. First, it exponentially enlarges the suggested link between the cancer genome and disease-related hemostatic perturbations. While the authors duly acknowledge the contribution of clinical variables to the incidence of CAT, their data suggest tumor-specific oncogenic pathways also play a major role in determining which patients are at high risk of thromboembolism. Second, the study paves the way for studies of molecular interplay between cancer and blood compartments involved in triggering thrombosis with hopes to develop more precise predictive algorithms, mutation-informed diagnostics, and interventions in CAT. Since thrombosis is not only morbid in its own right, but may also influence cancer biology, the genetic link in this chain of events, especially established on a large clinical scale, is of considerable interest. Rack concurs with the authors that there are many questions still unanswered, including... How a tumor with a defined organ location can trigger thrombosis in a distant vascular bed and in a manner related to its genetic makeup? Do different mutations within specific tumor subtypes interact to induce CAT? And finally, some of the oncogenes implicated in this study as correlates, if not triggers, of CAT are known therapeutic targets. Will the drugs directed at inhibiting these proteins potentially alter the course of CAT? Our final manuscript today, Natural History of Monoclonal B-Cell Lymphocytosis, MBL, Among Relatives in Chronic Lymphocytic Leukemia, CLL, Families, by Susan Slager at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and colleagues, examines the risk of developing monoclonal B-cell lymphocytosis and subsequent CLL in first-degree relatives of patients with a family history of CLL. CLL has one of the highest familial risks of disease among cancers, and a family history of CLL is the strongest known risk factor for developing CLL. Findings in previous studies from cancer and family registries indicate that individuals with a first-degree relative with CLL have an 8.5-fold increased risk of developing CLL. Additionally, the study authors and others have shown that the prevalence of MBL, or monoclonal B-cell lymphocytosis, in first-degree relatives of CLL patients is 13 to 18 percent higher than the 5 to 12 percent prevalence in the general population. This familial relationship strongly supports an inherited genetic contribution to CLL risk. Direct evidence of this inherited susceptibility is provided by 41 common variants discovered to date through genome-wide association studies that explain roughly 25 percent of the additive heritable risk. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia, CLL, is a neoplasm of mature B cells that is characterized by an absolute B cell lymphocyte population of more than or equal to 5,000 per microliter in the peripheral blood, with clonal cells having an immunophenotype of CD5, CD19, and CD23 co-expression along with decreased expression of CD20, CD79B, and surface immunoglobulin. MBL is a condition that has a circulating population of clonal B-cells, but with an absolute B-cell count of less than 5,000 per microliter and no evidence of lymphadenopathy, organomegaly, or cytopenias. MBL has been shown to be a precursor to CLL. MBL is further classified into high-count MBL with monoclonal B-cells greater than 500 per microliter and low-count MBL with less than 500 per microliter high-count MBL has been shown to progress to CLL requiring treatment at a rate of roughly 1% to 5% a year. The risk of progression to overt CLL for low-count MBL, however, is unknown, and to date, no cases of low-count MBL progressing to CLL have been reported. In particular, MBL incidents, natural history, and rates of progression to CLL among individuals who have a family history of CLL are poorly characterized. Here, Slager and team set out to examine progression in family members with MBL and determine the risk of progression from MBL to CLL. They used highly sensitive flow cytometry and prospectively followed family members. They report results from a large screening study including 1,045 relatives from 310 families that were known to have two or more members with CLL. In a subset of 449 relatives followed prospectively, they report incidents, natural history, and progression. At baseline, the prevalence of MBL in family members was 22%, or 235 out of 1,045 relatives. After a median follow-up of 8.1 years among the 449 relatives followed prospectively, 12 individuals progressed to CLL, with a 5-year cumulative incidence of 1.8%. When considering just the 139 relatives with low-count MBL, the 5-year cumulative incidence increased to 5.7%. Finally, the relatives who were normal at initial screening had a significant rate of developing MBL at a later time. Of the 264 relatives who had no MBL at baseline, 60 individuals subsequently developed MBL, with an age- and sex-adjusted incidence of 3.5% after a median of 5 years' follow-up. In addition, there were several examples of relatives undergoing progression from normal to low-count MBL to high-count MBL to CLL, demonstrating that low-count MBL precedes progression to CLL. The authors conclude that both low-count and high-count MBL are established precursors to CLL and that both were common and persistent in a screening cohort of individuals with a family history of CLL. Not all relatives in CLL families will develop MBL. However, among those who do, a subset of low-count MBLs will have clonal expansion to overt CLL at an estimated rate of 1.1% per year suggesting that progression of MBL in CLL families is in excess of the rate seen in the general population and, therefore, that an inherited component likely influences progression. Future studies are indicated to identify those factors that predict both risk of MBL and risk progression from MBL to CLL. A commentary on the study provided by Ola Landgren from University of Miami in Florida and Francesco Mora at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York points out that a comprehensive characterization of the genomic and epigenomic events in CLL and other hematological malignancies with evidence of early precursors and long evolutionary history will allow the differentiation between progressive and stable entities, potentially allowing the development of early diagnosis and preventative strategies. Building on the novel insights from this study, future molecular investigations are needed to characterize biological mechanisms of progression and to seek to define early genomic signatures of progressors versus non-progressors. Accompanying this report by Slager and colleagues are study-related CME questions developed by the American Society of Hematology. Please find these questions by going to www.bloodjournal.org. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.